Many see DevRel practitioners as upfront or in the spotlight on stage, or at least with their name on a lot of content publicly. But what if we told you there were people behind the scenes making community operations their priority? What does that look like? And who are the people making the lives of DevRel folks easier? That's the topic of today's Community Pulse episode. Welcome. You're listening to the Community Pulse podcast. Welcome your host, Mary Thangval, Jason Hand, PJ Haggerty, and Wesley Faulkner. Hey, everybody. So you always hear people say things like, so many people helped me to do this. But some folks actually prefer to be behind the scenes people, like focused on helping other people succeed rather than getting their own name on the big billboards and the big agendas and everything pushed forward. They do it to build better communities. So today we'll chat with a couple of people who focus on the operational side of building communities. Please welcome to the show, Danielle Andrist and David Blank Edelman. Uh, why don't you introduce yourselves? We'll start with Danielle. Sure. Hi. Thanks, PJ. Uh, my name is Danielle Andrist. I'm the Community Growth Manager at Comunda, and I'm so excited to be on the Community Pulse podcast today. Awesome. David, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, folks. Uh, pleasure to be here. My name is David Blank Edelman. I work for Microsoft. My title internally is something like Technical Program Manager, but I have also been called a Senior Cloud Advocate in the past, um, and I spent a lot of time thinking about operations-related stuff, either in the advocacy side or in the actual, you know, running things side. Awesome. Awesome. And today we're going to talk a lot about ops and, like, community ops and DevRel ops, but first I think we want to start with a definition. What exactly is community or DevRel ops? I think every company and person who does this type of role has a different definition. Um, this is the third company where I've managed something like this, and it it changes definitely based on the products, the community, the people you're working with, the holes in the team, like you know where where the team needs the most support. Um, but basically, it's for me, it's someone who's behind the scenes helping the developer advocates succeed or the developer content writers succeed. Um, I always use the metaphor of like a stage, like a stage production where the developer advocates are the actors on the stage. And I'm the stagehand in the back dressed in all black, who's like getting the next prop ready and changing the background and doing all that stuff. So making sure that the actors, the developer advocates can do their jobs more effectively and use, have the best use of their time to spend on the community so they can really, the nitty gritty, the details, the busy work, take that off their plates so that they can spend their time where they're needed with the community. I I, I would say Daniela is like spot on. Daniela is spot on. I, I would just say that sometimes I think this is also a bit of an emergent property where it's not the case that somebody says, let's go do X. I think sometimes it's like, uh, advocates who want to help people like myself and Danielle are like, oh, there's something that needs doing in order for us to make this happen or to make it easier for our for the people that we work with or to make it better for the people we advocate to. We find ourselves um, all of a sudden in the midst of doing this operational sort of role, um, which we didn't expect. And hopefully you're fine with it. And sometimes you move fluidly in and out of it. But it's, it's sort of a thing that I'd, it can also be a descriptor after the fact. 
I guess is what I want to say, not necessarily like a job role or job title that you would expect to see in, in, in Glassdoor or something. Definitely. Yeah. Right. And I, I, it's interesting that you mentioned that because it's, it's also, it's not that you're just supporting strictly like the developer advocates, but what, what you're doing is actually vicariously through the developer advocates or the content developers, or whoever it is you're supporting, you're vicariously supporting the community at large, correct? Yeah, definitely. I, I see developer um, developer relations as a whole as like service. Like, you know, we are, we're trying to serve the community. We're trying to provide them with resources or whatever else that they need to be successful. And my role as the, the many titles that I've held has been like the people that I'm trying to serve are my teammates. And through that, the community is served because I'm helping my teammates, the community managers, the developer advocates, whomever else be better at their job. So ultimately, yes, the work I do serves the community, but my immediate, you, know, you can think of them as your like customers also, you know, the people that I'm working to help are my teammates. Right on, right on. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think it can either be first or second order effects, right? It can be either you're helping the people that are helping the people to help the people, um, you know, which is what we were just <laughs> describing here, right? Um, or for example, I'm operations lead for two of the services at Microsoft. So for example, if you were gonna go attend something at a reactor, which is one of these physical buildings around the world that Microsoft has, you would probably sign up for an event. You're signing up for an event on a website. I'm operations lead for developer.microsoft.com slash reactor. So uh, it's both supporting the community and supporting the people supporting the community. So I think it, it, you can get many nested, you can, you can be any level nested deep in this is what I would say. Yes, that's that's yeah. a good point because I do interact directly with, there's certain, some programs that I interact directly with the community members. Um, and those I would say are the minority of my, my projects and my programs over my career, but it's true. Yeah, you can be first, second, third level. level. Yeah, and that's actually a, a great segue into our next question. Um, I have a feeling that the answer to this is it depends, but I'd love to hear a little bit about like, what does your typical day look like? Because it sounds like a variety of different things that you could be involved in. Can, can I just say that it, this wouldn't be a DevRel podcast if it wasn't for the fact that mm -hmm. most of the questions would be answered with it depends. Yes, but I, but I digress. Carry on. <laughs> I wish to state that, and I know this because I have one or are several at this point, that you can purchase certs that say it depends on, on them. And I, in fact, wear them when I deal with lot, lots of our larger customers and I'm trying to explain sort of operations practices or site reliability engineering. And, 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 I, and I, I just like that. stand up at every point and point at my shirt. So if you haven't gone purchased your, your it depends t-shirts, I'm just suggesting you should go get one now. It's super useful. We're, yeah, we're going to revisit that in the checkouts. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess that I go, darn, I should have figured that out. I should have saved it for later. Okay, cool. Uh, it definitely depends, right? It depends on the needs of your community. It depends on the needs of your uh, teammates. It depends if you have a big conference coming up that you're either going to speak at or if it's your company's big user conference. It's generally a bunch of little tasks for me. It's It's daily or weekly tasks that kind of build together to support or you know culminate in some kind of project or program but it's 
a variety of little tasks spread out <laughs> that and sometimes you know there's like a little fire that you need to put out and you know this thing broke and you know i need to go fix it but it depends <laughs> yeah um i can't disagree with that in any way shape or form so i guess the first thing that came to my mind is like so one some of the things i do is like i said run these services at microsoft and it turns out that running a service at microsoft um, is a little more heavyweight than you'd expect because they care a lot about operations rigor so um Anything that you run there, you're expected to pay really close attention to security, privacy, accessibility, um, all these sorts of good stuff like, like that, that you would hope, operational stuff. Um, and so I am in part responsible for making sure that we are clean on that. And there are systems involved that tell me when we're not. And you know, I have deadlines around this sort of stuff. I do privacy reviews multiple times a year on everything I do and threat modeling reviews on everything I do. And so someday I might be, pre be preparing for that. And then there are the other days where I'm sort of like more in the advocacy mode where uh, one of our larger customers has said, hey, we could really use some advice on X. And, and I happen to be the person who knows that. And so I'm doing that instead. And that's like the advocacy thing. So um, I can't really, you know, I, I've tried to figure out, like, is it possible to take my best days, my worst days and make an average day? And I don't think so. So, um, you know, that's what makes it hard, I think, to answer the question. Because this is a pretty wide net we're talking about here. Anything that sort of falls into, mm -hmm. in some ways, indirect service, which is a little bit of what we're talking about here often, um, falls into that. And that's a pretty wide net to, to, to cast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think... It also depends, and Danielle, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, it, it also depends on what stage the team is at, right? Mm -hmm. uh, David, you were saying, you know, you kind of moved into this once it was necessary and you now serve two teams. And I know, Danielle, it was a similar thing. Uh, spoiler for those who, who don't know or didn't catch Danielle's title at the beginning, she works for me at Camundo on my team. Um, <laughs> But when you first joined- And David like, works for me. Oh, the, no, David doesn't work for me. Never mind. No, carry on, carry no. on. <laughs> But some of the projects that you were working on, you know, we were looking to hire quite a few more people to the team. And so you were working on, you know, what does the onboarding Trello board look like and what topics need to be included from a company standpoint? Okay, now that's set. That's that's complete for now. It might be iterated on later, but like, what's the next big thing that you work on? And so it's, I think, as as the team matures, as the company changes, there's other things that pop up where we kind of go, oh, hey, we could be more efficient in these ways. Can you go investigate? Can you see what that looks like and, and how that might work? Uh, which mm -hmm. I know from my side has been a huge help. And it's turned into like you're the, the right hand person or the community operations person when we have that role, you know, is that right hand mm -hmm. person to the manager kind of helping go, OK, what do we what do we do? How do we help the team as a whole? So I have a question for you, Mary. How do you know when Danielle's doing a good job? Mm, wow. Good question. First of all, let's let's recognize the podcast Uno reverse card that's been played. <laughs> oh, no. I love well, it. I love I, it. But you know why I'm asking that question, right? Like, yeah. like, like, like yeah. we spent so much time in DevRel trying to figure out how do we know whether we're doing a good job in DevRel? Like, mm -hmm. so how, how in this case do you do you think about the of us? I mean, like, I'm certain she's stellar, yeah. um, and I don't even know her. Um, but, but how do you know when she's doing a super job at the stuff mm -hmm, that we're talking mm -hmm. about here? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, similar to most other roles in DevRel, a lot of it is qualitative, right? 
Um, and we talked about this when, when Danielle first joined the team, like, how do we measure success? And the, the quantitative side of things, I think, and Danielle, you can expand on this more, but it wound mm -hmm. up being like, how many hours of work are you saving the rest of the team? Right. Yeah. Um, whether that's me, whether that's the advocates, whether it's other people, and then qualitatively from my side, anytime that there's a, a new thing that Danielle launches with the team or for the team, I watch people's reactions. And more often than not, people are going, oh, yes, this is fantastic. This you know, makes an eight-step process of submitting a CFP and making sure people know about it internally a one-step process. Like, I will actually do this now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Which is no. huge. <laughs> yeah. I, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't <laughs> make a drink, right? So, uh, yeah, setting up processes to make the lives of my teammates easier. Uh, sometimes I set up a process and I think it's awesome, and then they just don't use it. <laughs> and that's another difficult part of this role is that not only is every team different, every community is different, every stage of the team, you know, the life cycle of the team, but every individual's working style is different. And you have to, if you've got a small enough team, you can accommodate for that. Like person A doesn't like this tool. Uh, you know, how can I? So sometimes I roll out processes that have like multiple paths so that I know that like, <laughs> This person will probably use this path and this person will probably use this path, but the end result is that I get the information that I need or, you know, um, and that's another difficult part of it. Um, I've worked with small enough teams that I can take that into consideration when I'm building processes or when I'm setting things up uh, for larger teams. I'm sure that's not, not possible, but it's another complicating factor of it all is the individual working styles of your teammates. Yeah. Which I, I think, uh, I wonder how much that comes from kind of background, Danielle. You mentioned like earlier on when we were first defining what the ops was, you kind of compared yourself to a theater stage manager. Mm -hmm. uh, like what what is your, like, because I know a lot of people, people ask me all the time, like, you're in DevRel. What's your background? It's like, well, mm -hmm. computer science, that's one thing. But also <laughs> I was a musician, which makes it really easy for me to get up on stage and just yeah. start saying a bunch of crap and having people listen to me. Um mm -hmm. My crap is brilliant. Let's be clear, folks. But <laughs> but still, like it's it's an oddity to be able to get on stage, deliver highly technical information, and deliver it in a way that keeps people's attention. It's not everyone yeah. can do it, but I do have the mm -hmm. background where I kind of learned to do that by through my musical days. What were kind of your backgrounds that like you know kind of led you to this? Were you super organizational? Were you a stagehand? Were like what what makes what made you the right person at the right time for this type of role? <laughs> uh some serendipity, I think, played a huge role in this. Um, my background's a little funky, and we don't really have time to get into it all because it's a very long story. But uh, I have a skill set. <laughs> I have a, certain, a particular set of skills. Yeah, um, it's very Liam Neeson suddenly. <laughs> uh, I, I'm very well, I'm very organized. I just, that's natural talent that I have. And it's something that I very much wrote off as like, not a big deal, like whatever, I can just manage these things and it comes naturally to me but that at the first the first job I Mary and I have worked together at a previous company and that's where I met Mary and that's where my career into DevRel started and uh we had a teammate who 
<laughs> was the first person who I interacted with on a professional level who I was like, not everyone has this skill set. I'm bringing something to the party here. I'm able to make this person better at their job by using my organizational skills, my ability to, you know, whatever. Um, and so I, I entered DevRel just because Mary's team at the time needed help. Um, they just needed someone to like manage events contracts and like keep track of. So I, I entered the space kind of as like a DevRel events coordinator, like managing all of the DevRel events that Mary and other teammates were speaking at and going to, like, you know, the bills of landing, like making sure all the swag was shipped, making sure we had enough swag, creating new swag, depending on the location, like much more kind of like marketing adjacent, um, as close as DevRel kind of gets to marketing without crossing that line, you know, that, that special, special line. <laughs> um, and then at my next company, I entered as a kind of the same kind of thing doing uh, DevRel events project management. But at the time, that community was not a very healthy place. So it kind of turned more into like, we're trying to repair <laughs> some things and like, how can we make our community happy again? <laughs> and like the life cycle of that community was just in a very different place. So Role number one was we're just trying to get a community up and running. And so speaking at lots of events, going to lots of places, putting out lots of content, just like getting our name out there to try and generate community. Role number two was there's a big community, but it's not going so great. How can we do some damage control? And then third role where I'm at in Kamunda, beautiful, lovely, happy, healthy community how can we now grow that in specific ways that grow with the grow in the same direction that our product is growing in? So very different life stages for all of that. The teams that I've worked on are all also in very different life stages. Um, so to answer your question, because I kind of rambled off topic there. That's <laughs> okay. I, I fell into this by happenstance because Mary and I happened to work at the same company and her team needed someone and I was there to help. <laughs> I, I, I love the dramatic, like the dramatic toll of that story. David, <laughs> same question, but Danielle really put the bar high for this story. Yeah, I'm not clear I can claim Mary's invisible hand for my story. My story goes a little bit more like um, I've been in the operations space roughly 35 years at the point that I started doing this stuff, 30, 37 years um, in various places. And uh, at some point, my boss's boss came to me and said, hey, I hear you know you know operations stuff. I'm about to spin up these things. Would you be interested in spending some time on this um, without the understanding that this would then grow exponentially to take up all, you know, vast majority of my time? And so that's what happened is, is I've been doing this for, you know, uh, you know, since we were shoveling coal into the servers, you know, back that back when. So. <laughs> Shoveling coal into servers, I can only. I do. Imagine. Can I put one more thought into my answer? Yes. <laughs> does it involve uh, coal? It does not. Um, you were talking about how your background in music has, you know, led you to be very comfortable on stage. I am very not comfortable on stage. I have never been a performer or an actor. 
um mary <laughs> mary's like ultimate goal for me is to get me speaking on a stage somewhere at some conference it's gonna happen one of these days it's gonna so, happen like <laughs> you know i very much am comfortable behind the scenes i'm not looking to take any spotlight and i think that that also um just kind of leads leads has led me to this role naturally where i'm like more comfortable in a, a support role that makes sense and I would just say that, just to be clear, for me, it's it's almost the opposite. Like, I miss being on stage. I enjoyed that aspect of things. I really enjoy playing with audiences. I really enjoy that ex that, that whole experience. And so I look at this as not like a, any sort of linear path or even a, even a cycle, cycle that I'll get back on it. I think this is just a spiral. And so... If somebody said to me, "Hey, would you want to go speak at a conference?" I'd be, you know, like, and here's here's the travel you need to do it. I, I'd be standing there with my carry-on, like, ready to go. Um, <laughs> so I, I dig this stuff too. It's just it's you know it's just sort of a different part of what it, how, you know, in what ways can I help? Well, I can help it with this, the, you know, with that experience, or I can help with this these talents over here. Um, you know, I'm just here to help, man. You know, basically. I like it. And that, that kind of speaking of, of how to help the, so what I, another common question we get in DevRel in general is like, so what are your tools? What are your day? Like we understand that there is no specific day. There is no way that it looks also, I, I, I added that to the, to the list. What does your typical day look like? Knowing that is my least favorite interview question of all time, but something that we could do a little more specifically is like, what are some of the common ways that you help the community team or the DevRel team to be more efficient and effective? Like what are some of the tools you use? What are some of the, the ideas or the templates that you've pulled out to say, not everything's universal, but these are some tools I know I can use that, that lead to success. Um, I guess I'll, I'll answer that first. I mean, I'm, I'm in a very strong engineering role. So we're doing the engineering thing. So I'm using the tools you kind of expect in, in that space where, you know, we're working with all the tools to track the work. We're working with all the tools to build the software, to, to manage the stuff, to handle the security of it, um, to deal with the privacy aspects and stuff like that. So my answers to that is a little weird because uh, the things that I'm primarily paying attention to are straight up, like how do you build and run services um, that 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 the community uses, that they need, that the people that are serving the community uses and need. Um, so that's where. So my answer is a little boring in that regard from a DevRel perspective. Yeah, um, not boring, helpful. You know, that's that's kind of like the nature of this role, right? It sounds to some people like you know, boring, but um, you're helping someone, you're serving someone. That's kind of where my you know, sense of fulfillment comes from, right? Because I, I can see directly I'm helping my teammate, which is always a good feeling. But um, to answer your question, uh, and this this answer will encompass all of the different teams that I've worked at and all those life stages that we've talked about, but um, reducing the number of tools that my teammates need is always a good thing to do because you can very easily get overwhelmed with like, there's 10 different steps I need to take in 10 different applications that I need to make this stupid thing work. And so if I can somehow consolidate that into one or two tools, that is very helpful for my teammates. Um, it depends on the company and like what tools they use. We at Comunda use Trello as our main organizational tool across our team and our company. Um, like Trello and Slack are the big ones for non-technical things. Um, and how do we create automations that can make it easier to interact with that Trello board, which happens to be a team tool like I was not super keen on Trello to be honest but I've learned to love it 
and um, how, what can I do to make it work better for me and therefore work, make it work better for my teammates. So I make a lot of automations. I am not technical. So low code is the name of my game. Um, and I have been able to make some pretty cool things <laughs> connecting <laughs> random strings from different low code automation apps um, so that, you know, person A just needs to click a box and uh, bing, bang, boom, all these processes happen behind the scenes with my low code automations and it gets the information to where it needs to go. Tools that I love and use daily between, besides like Google Docs and Google Sheets, Trello, as we talked about, Airtable is like my ride or die. <laughs> I use Airtable for everything. I use Airtable to like plan my wedding. <laughs> I love Airtable. Um, and then Common Room is our, our, what I call our community CRM. It's where we keep all of our community data. data. And so those are like our big ones um, for our behind the scenes tools. I have built processes. Um, and then another big part is being the bridge and sometimes shield between my team and the rest of the company. So bridge in that the rest of the company is like, hey, there's that weird community DevRel thing going on over there. I think they can answer this question, but I don't really know who to talk to. I'm the point person. Like, okay, I know Danielle can either answer this for me or get me to the right person. I played that role. So the bridge between DevRel and the rest of the company, or sometimes the shield. I know that like my advocates are at their limit. They can't take on any other projects. I'm going to be that gatekeeper for them to say like, hey, that sounds really interesting. Maybe we can do it next quarter or like maybe we can get to it later this year. And being that kind of the person who's willing to say no for them, <laughs> I've played that role as well. So there's a lot of different ways that I've, I've a lot of different hats I've worn throughout my career in, in DevRel operations. I think that one thing that you brought up that's super cool to mention is that, you know, what are, what are the actual sort of sub roles to this or, you know, what, 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 part are we playing, even though it's not the actor part necessarily sometimes. The other place that I find that I'm doing, in addition to what Danielle is talking about, is um, I'm also the person who's unblocking things. Um, I will go hunt down the, the answer to this question. I will go find the expert in Israel who happens to be the person who's the PM in charge of this Azure feature that is causing us pain. So I will go hunt that person down and find them and talk to them. Um, and so that opportunity to be able to unblock people in, in especially in a very large organization. So that's one of the differences. Um, you know, Microsoft is super big. It's super dependent on, on, on social networking within itself um, to be able to get anything done. And so being that connector and be at the bridge, as you were suggesting, Danielle, and, um, but also being able to say like, okay, here's a problem. I will go hunt it down or I will find the person who knows the answer to this problem and I will come back to you and, and you can then proceed with what it is you're trying to do. So I think that's super important as part of this, any sort of operational aspect you're doing. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. Cool. Uh well, as we said earlier, and I think this, what we've been talking about here kind of reaffirms that uh, it's clear that this role is definitely still evolving and looks different depending on what company you work at. Um, I've seen a number of different articles from different community organizations. So Common Room, Comsource, CMX, a couple other places that have started to kind of say, hey, here's what community operations is. And one of the interesting things to me is it very much reminds me of early DevRel where those bigger companies were going, here's what a developer advocate is. And everyone said something different because I've seen everything from like 
oh, it's the project manager for the team to it's the program manager for the team to this is the person responsible for all of the community metrics and things. And so it's been fascinating to me to see kind of those differences. Um, one, the last thing that I wanted to touch on really quick before we go to checkouts is titles, because I know, Danielle, your title was originally uh, DevRel Program Manager, and then we switched to Community uh, Operations Manager. Your title is now Community Growth Manager, and you're doing some slightly different things. Mm -hmm. uh, David, I know your situation at Microsoft is a little interesting, too, where you're kind of doing a, a mix of these things and titles are different there. So I wanted to kind of chat through some of that and understand some of the reasoning behind those title changes and what your thoughts are on kind of where we're at in that state of maturity for this role. So do you know the famous Greek playwright Aristophanes who did the uh, play Cloud Cuckoo Land? I don't know, this is a bit of a, like a deep dive into, into liberal arts here. Yes, because I read that book a while back, and it was fantastic. Um, yeah, it is, and it's really great that there's comedy that that was that was Greek, and maybe it's just the translator, but but really uh, that it's still funny after all these years. But I I'm just setting it up as sort of the the predecessor piece of information that will help you understand the rest of this. Um, I my title has changed and mutated as I've sort of moved around within the organization. Um, I mean, once upon a time it was senior cloud advocate and. Um, but that was the external title. There there's an internal title, which, which became technical program manager. And so officially my title is technical program manager. What that entails can be many different things. And I think part of that is because titles at Microsoft go through fairly rigorous HR review and, and, and processes like that. So I wouldn't take my title as like the exemplar of anything besides um, the being buffeted around within a within a, a large complex moving system that uh has its own rules let's put it that way so yeah and i've worked totally fair <laughs> yeah and another part of this whole puzzle is company size right like there's so much more <sighs> internal business that needs to happen with a larger company and i've worked generally at smaller companies with one exception you know and it's more of the the wild west men's style men's mind style <laughs> uh let's take that it's again. a new word and we'll, we'll, coordinate, we'll coin that here mind style <laughs> mind style mindset uh the wild west mindset of um there's there's no you don't have to get your title approved but you can just put whatever you want on a business card like literally you emailed someone to be like i want new business cards with this title it was, there was no oversight. Um, and so when I first joined that little team at that previous company with Mary, we talked a little bit about what my title might be. And it was a little dependent on my experience, my career experience. But I started out as, God, what was it? It was like advocate project manager or something, something weird. Something um, like that. It was, a, it was, it was not it, our best work. <laughs> it was not our best work. Um, but it was also a brand new concept. This was what, 2016, 2017. And um, you'd never worked with anyone doing that role before. I'd certainly never done it. And it evolved from like, it definitely took the pro project program manager route and uh, various adjectives added on to that. <laughs> you know. But when I started at Kamunda, it was, I think it was, 
was it just program manager? It might've been DevRel program manager, but then we shifted to like community titles. But, um, and then in chatting with Common Room, we, I, I felt community operations fit better. Um, it was more encompassing because program manager can mean things, different things, depending on like the technical or non-technical nature of your, the, where you are in the org. And so I felt that community operations was a, a great title for what I was currently doing and what I'd been doing for the last what, eight years, <laughs> something like that. Of, um, and so I, I'm a fan of community operations for this role. Um, but one of those hats that I have been wearing for a long time is metrics, looking at metrics, looking at how our community is growing, where they're growing, what topics are being talked about, what areas of the world are these conversations happening in. And that's kind of a direction that I've naturally been heading towards, which is why I recently accepted a new role as the community growth manager at Comunda, where my my job is looking at those community metrics and looking at how we can grow our community, like I said earlier, in conjunction with the direction that our product is growing in. And so the community operations is, we don't longer have a community operations role at Comunda, but that's because I set up all these processes and they're kind of chugging along fine. They don't need someone to just like sit and watch them. You know, if something breaks, I can step in and fix it. But for the most part, those those processes that I set in place are are good to go. They can run themselves at this point. So moving into this community growth manager role for me personally is definitely the next evolution of my career. And I think that community operations folks and community folks in general, taking a look at those metrics and really getting a handle on now that we have so much data, right? Like a decade of DevRel data is just sitting out there. We can really look at the impact of DevRel, the impact of our talks, and and really drill down into the specifics of that and see, show the impact we're making, right? It's always about proving <laughs> proving how, how we're helping the community, how we're helping the company and all that stuff. So that's that's the path that my career has taken. It's been a little a little wonky, but very happy with where I am right now. Such as I think everyone in DevRel. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's for sure. I I know you wanted to move on to checkouts, um, uh, Mary and PJ. I wanted to make a quick uh, correction because I'm a little concerned. Um, when I said that Aristophanes wrote Cloud Cuckoo Land, it's the birds that I'm thinking of in Cloud Cuckoo Land shows up there. I'm just concerned that you'll have not a bunch of liberal arts majors like me showing up with pick, pick, pitchforks and torches. You'll probably get like 60 page <laughs> angry essays written to, written to the podcast um, about that correction. So I want to be very clear. It's the birds that I'm thinking of in Cloud Cuckoo's Land there. And it's a lovely thing to go read. If you haven't read your your, your older Greek tra your older Greek comedy, uh, get right on it, DevRel folks. That's all I got to say. It yeah, will help. I mean, yeah. I, I also, if, if, if people want to send 60 page essays, I'm here for this. I'm here for this. Devro Weekly caters to the growing ecosystem of developer relations professionals who are having an unparalleled impact on their company. These professionals are often thought leaders in the tech industry, trusted by their peers as well as developers around the globe to be aware of and interested in all of the up and coming jobs, products, and events in their specific segment of the industry. The estimated social reach of the subscribers to Devro Weekly is in the hundreds of thousands of connections. If you're interested in sponsoring DevRel Weekly and listing your jobs, 
upcoming events, or highlighting your product. Join companies like Google, IBM, Miro, Okta, and more today by going to devrelweekly.com sponsorship to explore how your product, event, or job can appear in the next issue of DevRel Weekly. So let's see what we've got to check out. We will start at the top, Mary. Cool. Uh, well, speaking of words and literary things, um, I stumbled upon, I don't even remember how, um, a book called Word by Word, The Secret Life of Dictionaries. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I was a journalism major. I've loved writing and reading and investigating words my whole life. Uh, so I picked it up, actually listened to the audiobook version of it, which was fantastic. Um, and Corey Stamper, who's the author, is someone who works at uh, Merriam-Webster. And so like gives the background of like, here's where these types of companies came from. Here's how we decide what the definitions are. Here's how we decide whether or not a word winds up in the dictionary and based on like usage. And is it not just, you know, heavy usage within one particular industry, but is it accepted with that usage across a variety of industries? And it's just absolutely fascinating. Um, definitely makes me uh, look at things a little differently as far as, you know, my discomfort with words like irregardless being included in the dictionary. Oh, no, um, thank you. Mm. No. Uh-huh, exactly. Thank you, PJ. You'll love this book. <laughs> I, I don't think I can read it. <laughs> no, they, they agree with us that it shouldn't be there. But Okay, yeah. good, good. Then I'm in. Uh, anyways, so yeah, pick it up if you're at all interested in how dictionaries are created or how words come about and all of the, the history and interesting tidbits along with that. Very cool. Very, very cool. Danielle? Yeah, so I've two things to share um the first i stumbled upon just this week so i can't like recommend it or told, i haven't like fully vetted it yet but it's called make and it's like zapier on steroids it's like if you're comfortable with zapier if you can get your low code operation like automations working through that make is the next step um and i think i mentioned earlier i am not technical i can't code <clears throat> but i've made all of these automations happen through various tools. I've got one going right now. It makes me laugh so hard where it starts off in Zapier and like pulls something from discourse. And then it makes a record in Airtable and then Airtable talks to Slack and Slack updates the Airtable record and then to delete the record because it no longer is necessary because the Slack thing happened. I went to make to delete the Airtable record. It's like the most cobbled together janky automation ever, but it works. I, I feel like you keep no, saying you're not you're not technical, but there's no way that solution is not technical. There's, um, no, coding. there's no, no coding. Listen, 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 listen. Code <laughs> code does not equal technical. You cannot code ever and still be a technical person. Mm -hmm. but let me refer everyone to Community Pulse episode 34. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um okay, well. Yeah, technically in my own way. Um, they do have like a webhooks thing though that I'm really like, I want to 
because if I can get the webhooks thing figured out, then I can pull data from Common Room automatically into my reports. And I'm like, you know, figuring Ooh. out how I can use this in my like new growth manager role of like, okay, how can I pull that data automatically so that I'm not having to like manually pull these reports on a weekly basis, yada, yada. So I'm very excited to dig into make more. Um, and then the second thing I want to share, I just got a new laptop for work. So I had to reinstall all of my apps and everything. And I use Shift as my browser. Um, I don't know if browser is the right word, but <laughs> I love Shift. I've been using Shift for a couple of years now. This sounds like an ad. It's not. I do have a link if you'd like to use it. <laughs> but, um, I just, so because of the new laptop and the new operating system, I had to upgrade to the newest version of Shift. I've been using a legacy version. Um, and I am on their alpha release because they have alpha releases and beta releases and then they're like stable release, whatever. Technical. <laughs> but the alpha release has their workspaces, their new version of workspaces up and running if you're familiar with Shift. Um, and it's really, it's it's great. And um, I can now open Salesforce and shift. I don't have to go to Chrome to open Salesforce. It's great. I'm very happy with it. <laughs> so shift helps me stay organized. It's just, it's, it works for my working style. Everyone's got their own thing. Mary has 120 tabs open. That's just her working style. <laughs> I feel seen and yeah. offended. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there's a little, there's a little bit of a call out there. I don't know. It's like, you know, <laughs> Well, so, no so offense, Mary. Un, un, you literally reveals. told me your laptop broke because you had too many tabs. That's fair. Open. That's fair. The the genius, the Apple genius, told me they could they couldn't help me because my problem was having so many tabs open in Chrome. <clears throat> but that's not the topic of today's podcast. No, it's so not. Back to shift. <laughs> back to shift. I really like it. It helps me stay organized. Give it a try. They have a trial period or whatever, but um. I just upgraded to the new version and I really like it. That's my call out. Awesome. Awesome. David, other than cloud cuckoo land, what have you got for us? I, I want to be clear that I would be perfectly content to have an entire episode about how to deal with all your tabs. That would be great. That is above the pay grade of community I should, pulse. I should not be a guest on that podcast. <laughs> I just, I just want to say that I I'm, I'm there. If you put that episode out. Um, so I have two, <laughs> geeky in different directions things. Recently, I pulled off my shelf a book called Murmurs of Earth written by Carl Sagan. And it is about the golden records that were sent out in the Voyager probes. And these, if you're not aware of it, once upon a time, we sent out um, honest to goodness records on our, on, on our, our you know, on our space, space probes. Um, and to me, it's incredibly interesting to figure out what would you put on the records? And not only that, what is the diagram on the front that helps somebody who is not human know what the heck this thing is? Um, and I find that communicating with people that are so trying to figure out how you could communicate with people that are so alien to you because they're aliens. That to me is really interesting. Also, what music matters on the on the earth? which I suspect, PJ, you have an opinion on also. So it's Several. kind of interesting to see what they chose. Yeah, so I think that's kind of cool. The other thing is, is that I have been for the last N years, uh, thanks to the pandemic, really obsessed with bread baking, so much so that I get a, a job in my spare time, which, which, is not, which I'm no longer doing, being a professional bread baker at a bakery, because I wanted to level up. 
Um, and so I am wow. insanely interested in, yeah, well, I mean, like we could talk about that too at some time if you want. Um, but I, I, I'm really, it, it, there's something about that that's really fascinating, enjoyable, pleasurable, and satisfying and gives me the ability to serve is to make bread for people and to, and to, and to, and to get my butt kicked by, uh, you know, a small thing, you know, by a starter in the jar that, that every time I'm still learning from it. Like baguettes are harder than they look. That's all I got to say. Um, uh, and uh, I think that's it. I think those are my those are my two things: um, space and bread. That's that's any, two pretty any, awesome things. To be fair, any recommendation of like a blog post or a book or somewhere that someone could start if they're interested in pursuing? The yeah, bread there's, there's some really lovely new books out there. There's like the Perfect Loaf is one. Um, they're, they're, the book that I started with that I that is tricky is one of the people that sort of started a renaissance of artisanal bread and is Chad Robertson. He wrote a book as part of a bakery called Tartine Bread. Um, and if you know San Francisco, you may have been to Tartine. Um, and yes, um, yes, yes, yes. What I decided to do is there is one standard basic loaf. And I was like, I will do this as many times as I need to until I'm satisfied with what I've created. And so that's just the way I go about things as I go really deep, not versus like, I'm just going to try all the things. I'm I like, I'm going to do this until I'm really happy with it. Um, and so tartine bread is pretty good, but I just want to say it will also uh, test you and I, in, a, in a great way. And so I encourage people to check it out. It's a great book. So Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I'm hungry now. Thanks, David. Um, but uh, yeah, awesome checkouts. Uh, my checkouts this week, uh, as you know, it is this is this is our June episode, so summer has arrived. Uh, some people out there, I think, who follow me on social media and stuff know that I, I am a motorcycle rider. Uh, please be safe on your motorcycles out there. But also, there's this really cool app called Rever, R E V E R, where you can actually like share your rides and track your rides and share them with other people. It's kind of like Strava. If you know Strava, it's like Strava for motorcyclists. Uh, but it's cool because you can add pictures of your ride. You can add video. It's pretty rad. Um, and it's just kind of a social way to share your ride because riding a motorcycle is often a very, uh, very singular thing. It's a very individual thing. Um, the other thing that I want to mention is I've been messing around with, and I, I full disclosure, I actually know the founder of the company, but this thing called ClearWord, which is an awesome thing that you can use to make meetings into action item lists. It's not, it doesn't just do transcriptions. Lots of things do transcriptions. What this does is it actually analyzes the, the discussions in a meeting and creates action items that can then be completed after the meeting. So super awesome tool. Um, and I think that actually brings us to the end of our episode. Daniel and David, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Mary, thanks as always for co-hosting the podcast. Um, happy Pride Month, everybody, because it is this was recorded in June. Uh, and as we all know, I like to finish with a quote. So for some reason, when, when I was looking into a quote for this episode, this is the one that jumped out at me. And I, I feel like it really rings, but I don't, I don't know why. I, it's just one of those things. But here's, here's the quote. If I'm going to tell a real story, I'm going to start with my name. That was Kendrick Lamar. Um, so with that, thank you so much for listening to the Community Pulse. Thank you for the privilege of your time, and we will see you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Community Pulse. Find out more at communitypulse.io, on Twitter at community underscore pulse, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out our extra podcast, The After Pulse. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the